When you first started copywriting, you probably learned about creating a client avatar and all about storytelling. But what if you could take it a step further and tell stories that can make an even stronger impact? Our guest for the 268th episode of the Copywriter Club is Jeff Coleman. Jeff uses the power of neuroscience and psychology to create a deeper, more meaningful connection with people. And today I am joined by my co-host, Gabby Jackson. How's it going, Gabby? It's going well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well, Gabby. So you are on our team. We have had so many um, people in our audience ask to hear more about our team members. Um, and I want to introduce you today just so everyone can get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just kick off with um, how you heard about the Copywriter Club and what you do on the team. So yes, I am super excited to be here. I found, I discovered the Copywriter Club by wanting to find out more information about copywriting in general. And I was all about podcasts, still am all about podcasts. And I just typed in copywriting. This podcast was the first one to pop up and I started binging episode after episode and I decided I have to be part of this community, this club. How do I get in? No, wait, when was that, Gabby? That was um, probably last August or September. Yeah, so it's been a little over a year. Yeah, and I remember when we first met you in the underground on our first our meet and greet call with you and... We met you and um, you just had such great energy that Rob and I were texting each other. We're like, we have to figure out a way to get Gabby on our team so we can work with her. And we were lucky enough that you joined the team. And so what do you do today on the team? So um, on the team, I handle a lot of the social media aspects, whether that mean um, graphics or captions, um, some email writing, podcast um, show notes and interjections and some Pinterest um, tasks as well. Yeah. And the cool thing about today is that Gabby <laughs> Gabby actually works on these, we, we call them interjections. This is basically our commentary that we add to every episode. And Gabby and Rosie work on these each every week. And so Gabby, maybe you can give us some insight into how you put these together today and just share... Um, your process real quick. Yeah, I, I love putting these together because I feel like I get an inside scoop before everybody everybody else. Um, so I'll listen through the interview and I'm really just jotting down, you know, anything that sounds kind of intriguing to me. Um, I feel like everybody on the team is a little bit the same in what we like to listen to and copywriters in general. So I'll write down anything that sounds interesting and then I'll kind of lay it out in bullet points. That way it's easy for everybody to to read, kind of go in through different points of the podcast, and then y'all um, make your comments, and we'll kind of just go through and clean everything up. You know, take out any extra language that maybe we don't need, and then all the ums, there. all, <laughs> all the, ums. the yeah, exactly. I, was, I wasn't going to say, but all the ums and and yeahs or whatever it is, um, and then yeah, we'll go from there. All right. So today is extra special that we have you here to talk through. Uh, this interview with Jeff since you you worked on the background and put this all together. So before we jump in, uh, let's talk about our sponsor. Shockingly, <laughs> this episode 
is sponsored by the Copywriter Club. The Copywriter Club in real life. Uh, we are so excited that this year we are able to get back to an IRL uh, event in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we just signed the contract uh, with the hotel. And so we finally have the dates uh, we can announce. Sunday the 27th, um, we'll kick off with our think tank retreat and then we'll kick off the official event Monday the 28th and run the 28th, the 29th. And then we will have a VIP event on the 30th. So yeah, we're so excited to get together in person because last year it was virtual. And um, this year it's all about seeing old friends and making new friends. And Gabby, I'm just curious because you've worked on the event behind the scenes. You were part of NIRL this past year. Um, but just why why are you excited to attend this year? What have you heard about it that makes you most excited? Oh my gosh, I seriously continuously happy dance just because I'm excited to actually meet so many copywriters in person. And I think that's the great thing about in-person events is you can really just focus all your attention on the speakers and the people that are there. There's no distractions. And I think it's just going to be such a great time to leave the house and be able to interact with so many people who are, who are trying to grow their businesses too. All right. So uh, if you are listening and you have any interest in attending this event or just learning more about it, you can uh, jump to our website, go to thecopywriterclub.com backslash TCCIRL-2022. Or just check our show notes and click on the link. We'll have the link in the show notes of this episode so you can check out all the details about the event and we can hopefully see you there this March. All right, now let's get into the episode. Uh, you know, I always loved writing. I was one of those kids. The more I say this to other people, the more I feel less alone and like there's more of us copywriters who came up this way, who were this way as kids. But I was always the kid, the shy kid that hid behind uh, my mom's leg. Whenever someone would try to talk to me, I'd just cower behind her, find safety behind her. And it really wasn't, so whenever someone would try to talk to me, I wouldn't have anything to say. And it wasn't until I got into school and discovered this thing called reading and writing uh, that I began to actually find a voice. I didn't basically, I basically didn't speak until I was five years old. Uh, until I found that I could write what I was thinking. Uh, later on in life, I discovered or was told this line that words make worlds, uh, which is basically what I was able to do. I didn't talk, but once I could write it out, I would create these fantastic uh, worlds where I was a hero, where everyone uh, you know, was lifting me up on their shoulders, where I'd win the game and, uh, and all that. So... Um, that love for writing started really, really, really early for me. And again, I, I feel like the more I talk about it, the more people say, yeah, me too. Uh, that that's something of a common denominator between us uh, writers and copywriters. But so I took that love and enjoyment uh, from of writing and basically then found a way to turn it into a career. A weird, uh, in a roundabout way, in a, into a career. So First, I became, uh, believe it or not, a pastor. I was a youth pastor, then a, then a regular pastor. Uh, but what I always saw it as was basically this unique way to create content that I always got to write and create content throughout the week. 
um, yeah, I got to hang out with people and, and help people through life and all that. And that was, that was all good. But really what I loved was I got to uh, investigate and I got to write content multiple times a week, uh, which then when I left the church, because uh, I no longer was a, a fit, I lost my faith and, and all that. That's a whole other story. But uh, I found I still had this transferable skill to take me from that content creation piece uh, that I loved and I could actually still do it outside of my old profession where I could now hey, write for other people, tell their stories, help them get clear on that, uh, that story that's going to draw their audience in. So it seems like a weird progression, but it was a natural one to go from um, that church space into this copywriting space because those skills, those interests and those things that I loved uh, were still highly transferable from one to the next. Yeah, I really like this idea. I, I've heard it before, but uh, not in a while that you bring up the words make worlds. Uh, I'm curious, as a kid, what were the worlds you were making? Like, tell us about one of them. Like, how did how, how did you do that? Yeah, the other way that I found freedom when I was a kid and got tons of joy was through sports. So most of the worlds that I would create were sports related. Some of them were cool adventures where I'd go off exploring in castles and and all that stuff, but most of them revolved around my BMX bike and a hockey rink, um, where I could, I already, you know, enjoyed those things already was decent at those things, but maybe those friends at school didn't know that I was a great hockey player. So I could write a story where everyone knew where everyone celebrated me and my hockey skills or where I won the BMX race and everyone celebrated. Um, so it was weird that I took those things I was already really good at. I didn't, I didn't write myself new skills, uh, or new hobbies or new interests. Uh, but I did make sure in those stories, hey, everyone knows I'm really good at this uh, in this fictitious world that I created. And how does that show up in the work that you do today? That is a fantastic question. So a lot of the work that I do today revolves around doing very similar stuff of, of helping uh, my clients or my uh, coaching clients as well figure out what is that story that connects with people that people are actually interested in. I heard someone earlier today say, um, basically, just like the madmen from the 50s, we don't need to go search for an audience. We need to bring our audience to us. We need to find an audience that, uh, or draw an audience in that's already interested in what we're interested in and what we're already talking about. Uh, so with my clients, it's it's very similar that we we go through the process of trying to figure out what their story is. Uh, but more than that, what pieces of that story actually draw people in, actually connect to the right audience, uh, actually, you know, speak to the right avatar. Uh, so that's some of the work uh, that I do early on with clients. Okay, we're definitely going to come back to this, but let's go back to, um, you know, you're just starting out now as a copywriter using a lot of the skills that you developed as a pastor. Talk to us about how you got those first clients. What did you do to reach out and connect with them? So the reason, one of the reasons that I kind of glazed over when I, when I left my church role, I already was, uh, had a certification in copywriting. I had a side gig that, uh, that I thought I'd use in, in and all that. But, uh, so I was able to use my story brand certification to draw in a few early clients and then eventually a few retainer clients early on that helped stem the tide financially for our family, uh, from quitting one job and going freelance. But really what I was able to do and how I stood out was people would book a discovery call or whatever with me, and they'd basically say what you did on your site for yourself. 
the funnel that you built uh, for your own business. That's basically what we want you to do for us. Everyone else uh, says that they can do it, uh, but your site, your business is actually showing us that you do do it. So uh, the earliest clients that I got were just drawn to me and, and the way that I'd set things up because I was already doing exactly what they wanted. They just wanted me to mimic it, clone it for them and their business. Uh, so that became a, a really simple and easy way to attract business to myself because there was this one skill that I had of writing. All I needed to do was pair it up with a funnel for my own site and it would draw folks in that just wanted to do the same thing. And what does your business look like today? Very different from, from what it looked like in those early days. I guess the, the skill that I deliver is still copywriting, still connecting people between uh, connecting uh, businesses and entrepreneurs with their audiences uh, through stories, through words. But the clients that I get to work with are vastly different now. So in those early days, it was, um, you know, whoever I could get, whatever business they were in. Uh, my only differentiator was that I could write and write well. Um, but now it's much more, you know, I'm in, uh, attracting thought leaders and authors and experts and people in that field uh, that I get to write for. So the, the big difference between then and now is just I'm, I'm much more niched down, much more, much more um, an expert in one particular thing uh, on top of copywriting, copywriting for one particular audience. And let's be more specific. Like what, what is that? You know, who, who exactly is it that you're helping and what are you doing for them? Yeah. So uh, like I said, it's mostly thought leaders, uh, authors, experts, people that are, uh, that have built an audience generally have pretty successful businesses already. They just uh, need help either getting the word out even more, or they need some of that copywriting stuff off their plate so they can focus on their audience. But it's mostly people, uh, people who are like gurus essentially is basically who I get to write for now. Um, People would know some names, but I don't, I don't want to name drop, but that's, you know, folks that, that have name recognition, that's who I get to write for now. Okay. That's cool. Um, and you've got a framework, I'm assuming for doing that. Let's, let's talk a little bit about their dig into it. What is the framework that you use? Uh, well, one of the frameworks that I use is called the six P uh, sequence or six P framework where basically it's, there's nothing rocket science about it. There's nothing, um, horribly, um, patentable or anything about it, but it's just walking people through specifically in uh, email campaigns and sales pages and direct response copy, walking the copy through, walking the customer or prospect through a very specific uh, sequence of events so that they can understand uh, the value that they're going to get, the problem that they're going to solve and see actual uh, testimonies, proof and all that uh, to prove that this is something that can help them. So the six P's are uh, are pretty simple. It starts with the problem that they have, that the avatar or prospect has, uh, that they're struggling to get through uh, or get over. And we follow up that uh, problem piece with the promise. So that's the solution that the client uh, offers, that the, the company or business or thought leader offers to them. Uh, after that, we want to talk through uh, talk them through a paradigm shift. So we've told them about their problem. We've shown them the promise that we can, you know, what, here's what life looks like on the other side of doing business with us. But usually the biggest shift in, uh, in results and in mindset and in all that comes with that paradigm shift of you used to thought, uh, the truth was this, you used to think life was like this, but it's actually like that. You used to think the problem, uh, used to think about the problem this way, 
Now you should actually be thinking about it that way instead. So we introduce that paradigm shift. And usually when, uh, when a client can have that aha moment of, uh, oh, this is the before and after of what our clients or prospects are going through. It's a pretty big deal for them because they can now communicate even in uh, you know stuff they're doing without me in sales calls and their coaching programs, things like that. Uh, they can understand that paradigm shift that people go through much, much clearer. After we walk people through that paradigm shift, then we uh, introduce some proof. So that's testimonials or case studies or, um, or Yelp reviews or whatever. We show people proof. Uh, we show the audience proof that this, um, that this customer or client that I'm writing for, that they actually know what they're talking about. After we've shown proof, we give them a prompt. That's a really quick email or section of the copy. It's usually pretty, pretty binary. It forces people to make a yes or no decision. Uh, and even the no is a, is a good thing because it, at least they're responding and they're replying and they're uh, taking some form of action, but it's, it's in that yes or no binary decision. And then we end with the pitch uh, where it's just the, uh, the hard pitch of here's the program. Do you want in? So uh, problem, promise, paradigm, proof, prompt, pitch. That's the six P's. Yeah, I like it. Um, and I, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. Can we go a little bit deeper on the paradigm shift? Do you have like a concrete example that we can talk through so we're really clear on what that is? I can walk us through one real quick that I've used in coaching programs before. So not necessarily giving away client secrets, but talking you through uh, how that paradigm shift works. So think about a, uh, a keto diet. If you were selling a keto cookbook that's um, you know giving away some recipes, giving people some uh, ingredient lists, all that stuff. So paradigm shift could be as simple as uh, that you used to think eating healthy, eating well, eating right was difficult, um, but it's not that hard. I mean, that's a super, a super simple example of you, you thought it was hard, but it's actually easy. The beauty of that uh, paradigm shift, which is very simple, but the beauty of it is that it makes your product the bridge to get from hard to easy, right? Where uh, it's not hard, it's easy or simple, but what you're missing is the tools to do it. So let me show you what those tools are. And in this case, that would be this keto cookbook where you can get the recipes, you can get the ingredients, you can get uh, everything that you'd need to get set up for success because of that product. So we introduce that paradigm shift in a way that makes the product the bridge between X and Y, between uh, hard and easy. Yeah, I like it. I can think of some other things that, you know, would be those almost templated um, paradigm shifts, you know, like expensive to inexpensive, uh, you know, effortful to, you know, effortless kind of stuff, hard to easy. So I like that. Um, and then let's also um, talk about prompt because um, prompt and pitch feel like they could be, you know, mixed together or confused for each other. So um, specifically, you know, what what is the difference between, say, prompt and pitch? Right. Uh, so a prompt is really meant to be, it's very quick. It's like, if you ever heard of the nine word email, that's essentially what a prompt is. It's a, it's a really quick, uh, if it's an email and it's like one sentence with a yes or no uh, question. So it's, uh, is it time to work together? Are you ready to get working together? Uh, is this program right for you? Um, and, and really it is just prompting uh, the audience to get ready to make a decision. So when I say even a, a no is a good answer. What usually happens in an email when uh, when I send one of these out or a client sends one of these out, um, even a no means that they reply with not yet. And and so MailChimp or ConvertKit or whomever 
reads that as, hey, they replied, they're interested in this content more and more. Um, so, you know, it, it ups your reputation score and all that, or your client's reputation score. What happens most often uh, is that people will reply essentially with a maybe. So I don't know, why don't you tell me more? Or how much does that cost? Or what would, what does the program look like? Or uh, what are the dates? Or things like that. So it it, repl- it elicits a response that actually gets people further down the sales conversation, even though they're not at the pitch part yet, they're asking you for the pitch part. So prompt and pitch kind of are very similar and interchangeable in that sense, uh, that that prompt piece sets people up, uh, not in a bad way, gets people ready for, uh, for that pitch piece. Okay, that makes sense. And then, you know, if I were to use this uh, framework, you know, trying to walk through it for my own sales page or for a client or something, what are the pitfalls or the, the, the hiccups that I might experience as I go through that process? So generally, people get tripped up on this when, um, when they try to go out of order, which, uh, you know, when, when you get comfortable with it, when you get familiar with it, you can start adding in, uh, maybe you want a, a prompt piece, you know, higher up on the page, not fifth, but whatever. Uh, you can add in some proof higher up on the page, but people, people get tripped up, uh, even copywriters, but especially uh, people that I'm coaching through how to write this stuff. Uh, they get tripped up and get overconfident about it and start going out of order. Uh, and then it's, it, it kills the flow. Um, it's, it's designed a specific way to engage the way that our readers are going to think, the way that those prospects are going to be processing the information that they're reading. Um, and also it makes it very scannable. So if you just give people you know, a headline or a subhead or bold some copy uh, to grab attention through each of these six sections, uh, it's it's designed in a way that the eye actually, uh, as they scan, can read it as a story. It's not that they need to stop uh, and read every piece of the copy. They can just go by those headlines and it, they get the whole story when you walk them through these six P's. So the biggest pitfall is going out of order and, and messing things up that way. Just, yes. Trust the process. Stick to the Trust formula. the process. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever heard anybody else using this term, but uh, I've told you talk about this uh, a little bit anyway, uh, trauma-informed marketing. Um, Tell me what that is and what does it do for your clients? Yeah. Um, You know, I'm not sure if anyone else has used the term either, uh, but I'm uh, open to uh, hearing if others have. But so trauma-informed marketing is really being purposefully careful with the words that we use and purposely careful with the strategies that we implement. So, you know, the past 18 months, two years, however long we've all gone through, every single person in the world has gone through trauma, you know, lockdowns, uh, businesses closing down, being scared of viruses, all that stuff. We've all gone through trauma that we didn't expect, trauma that we didn't uh, necessarily know how to deal with, trauma that some people might still be going through even now. So trauma-informed marketing is basically just saying, pull back the scarcity when we don't need it. Pull back the, the, the fear-mongering when we don't need it. That actually honoring and respecting our avatars or our clients' clients uh, means that we don't necessarily need to just layer on the fear all the time, layer on the inducing the scarcity and you know triggering fight-or-flight responses too much. I mean, some of that's built into marketing. Some of that's how we get results, but we don't need to hit it so hard if we actually honor our audience 
uh, and build a connection with our audience. We don't need to rely so much on those fear tactics. So that's what trauma-informed marketing is really all about. And, you know, let's say, okay, you know, I'm pretty used to the PAS formula, you know, I'm agitating pain or whatever, and I want to dial that back. Do you have thoughts around the best ways to do that? Obviously, you know, problem agitate, solve, it works, right? I mean, there's a reason that people do that. And there's a reason that people push that um, that pain button. So what do we do instead to replace it? Yeah, I mean, and there's a reason that scarcity is used too, because it works, right? So, um, but, but like I said, it's about honoring the people that we're writing to. So if we're actually respecting the audience of our client, then it's not so much it's not so much that we don't agitate the pain point. It's that we we can couch it in a story or couch it in a conversation that actually honors what they're going through, which sounds wiffly waffly. But what it really means is we've uh, we've done the work to know who our audience or our client's audience is, and we've done enough of it uh, so that we can actually know those pain points, know those what what uh, what agitation points we need to get to uh, without re-traumatizing people without making them feel worse about themselves, without making them feel worse about their situation. Yeah, we want to position the product. We want to position the the program or the service or the offer in a way that's going to help them. But we don't, uh, we don't need to twist the knife as much as we think we need to. Basically, what, what I tell people is if you need to manipulate people that much, then you're probably not writing that well. Then you need to do more work. You need to go back and actually review what you've written, review how well you know your avatar, how well you know the offer, if people are actually going to benefit from this product at a, at a higher level. So if you're relying on traumatizing your audience or re-traumatizing them, then you're probably just not a good enough writer yet. You need to go back to some basics and learn more uh, how to write effectively. It, it seems like we can definitely agree manipulation's not great. We definitely don't want to traumatize our audience. It sounds like, you know, you're kind of talking about empathy, you know, coming coming at what we're doing from a place of empathy. Is that like a, an accurate read on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say honoring our audience, respecting our audience or our client's audience, that that's really what it boils down to is can we uh, can we write from a place of empathy? Can we uh, not just understand, but put ourselves in their shoes? Right. Can we uh, tell them here, uh, you know, I write for personal brands. So this is really easy for me to talk about because I can just write into the copy. I know what that feels like uh, because the the author or expert or thought leader that I'm writing for, um, they can use a personal voice like that. Uh, so, so perhaps I have an advantage there where I can just say, hey, I know what this uh, struggle is like. I know what the past uh, year and a half or two years have been like. Uh, I've struggled with this, this, and this. In the past, I've struggled with that. So we can build in some uh, some empathy and understanding right there and, and identify with that uh, or make our clients identifiable as characters. Um, yeah. And then it, it layers on that empathy, uh, like I said, with, without just relying on fear tactics and scarcity and, and re-traumatizing our audience. Okay. Makes sense. So while we're talking about this, you mentioned um, the avatar. Tell me how you use avatars in your business. Well, so I used to I used to use avatars as a um, as a tool to try to impress people, try to impress clients of, oh, yeah, we'll build an avatar. So I was mostly asking demographic or very base, uh, basic psychographic type of information. So, you know, their age range, their salary, their job title and all that. But now it's much more based on what are their goals? What are their values? What are their motivations? Uh, those psycho psychographic type details of not just 
Uh, do they have 2.2 kids? But what are their hopes and dreams for their kids? And again, I'm I'm writing for personal brands, so it it is very easy for that, pardon me, for that connection uh, to be made in the avatar of they, um, the product that they're looking to buy or the uh, guru that they're looking to connect with is going to help them improve their lives or improve their parenting or improve uh, life in one way or another. Um, it really does boil down to. Um, to knowing the audience on that deeper level of what are your, like I said, what are the hopes, dreams, aspirations that you have, not just for you, but for your kids? Uh, what are, uh, you know, when you go to, when people show up to your funeral, what do you hope that they say about you? Uh, much more deeper questions than just um, where do you live and what job title do you have? And do you have a process for digging that out? Uh, I'm, it's really easy to, you know, make up an avatar, right? And say, oh yeah, you know, my, my typical client is going to be, you know, somebody who needs, you know, coaching and, and, you know, write this stuff down, but how do you make sure that you're actually getting the right information in your avatar? Yeah. Where it usually starts for me is I call them uh, nested or they're called nested identities. So we basically walk through and they're kind of like Russian nesting dolls. That's where the name kind of comes from. Uh, but you know, what are their, what are your goals uh, as, as the avatar? What are their goals? And then it gets down to what are their what are their beliefs, what are their motives, uh, and then finally what are their values. So we we spend some time in each of those four areas, but they fit together one inside the other. So their their goals are uh, related to their beliefs, which are related to their which cause their motivations, which find their uh, home in their values. So we just walk through that process, and it's usually a um, you know there's some stock questions perhaps, but uh, it's usually really just a, a longer in-depth conversation of uh, asking good questions and listening for good answers and basing the next question off of uh, what answer did the client just give me uh, and how can we how can we drill down deeper into that let's jump in here and talk about a few things gabby so what stood out to you so far in this part of the conversation oh my goodness there is quite a few things that stood out one of them being that I just think it's pretty interesting how so many copywriters find copywriting through very unexpected events. Maybe it's like a pivotal moment in their lives or maybe it's their careers that ends up bringing them back to a passion they had when they were younger or maybe a passion that they've had all their lives. And now they're realizing that it can actually be profitable. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I I never thought that the writing path was even possible as a kid. And I loved writing stories, but that was not a path. And even though it wasn't even, I was down the creative path. I was all about becoming an artist. And I was, that's how I, I viewed myself as an artist and I continued on that path. But it's so funny that even though I was open to that and more of the visual arts, I never thought that writing could actually pay the bills um, until, until much later. Um, but yeah, you're right. It does seem to, we do some to come full circle. Is, is that how it started for you, Gabby, as a kid? What did, how did you view writing? Oh yes, definitely. I used to write so many short stories and poems and I used to think, oh my gosh, these are best sellers and these need to be out everywhere. But then I realized, okay, looking back now, it was, it was really a way to just ease my mind, um, kind of just express myself creatively and lay everything down on paper. And now I'm able to do that in such a different way for other people. And it's just, it really has all come full circle. Yeah. And I wonder how many 
uh, other copywriters feel like it is the best way to express themselves. Like, like Jeff shared with us that he was a shy kid um, and really like a really shy kid. Right. And um, this allowed him to express who he is or who he was at a young age. I also was a painfully shy kid. Um, and I remember that I was, it was just, it was pretty rough as a kid being shy because you feel like everyone else is different. So I don't know, even just hearing Jeff talk about that and kind of just owning that part of his childhood um, made me feel a stronger connection to him because I, I can relate. And I do think that it's so important to find the best way to express yourself. And even today, I'm not a shy kid, but I do feel like the best way for me to express who I am is through what I write. And I feel like even the people who know me best, if they want to know who I really am, read what I write. Um, and and <laughs> <Yes>. so <laughs> it's That's just so, so good true. to hear Jeff is the same way and that we're all, I mean, we're all kind of that way. And, and um, how does that work for you, Gabby? Like, do you feel like you are truly seen when you write or in a do you express it in a different way? Oh, 100%. My friends and family know that if I want to convey some sort of anything, I, I need to write it down uh, because that's when I really can think about it thoroughly. You know, it, when I'm writing, like, even, even if it's like a birthday card or expressing my just feelings towards my family or something, it needs to be written because it's just easier for me to to think about and lay it down on paper than it is to, I don't think I've ever been like a very great public speaker. And that's never something I mean, you know, and growing up as an only child, there wasn't many people that I was talking to. So growing up as a shy <laughs> kid, a shy kid in general, and an only child, it was, you know, it was always paper that helps me actually convey what I was feeling on the inside to the outside world. Yeah. And so what else, Gabby, stood out to you in this part of the podcast? I think another thing that really stood out was his ability, Jeff's ability to niche in a different way rather than what he writes, but niching down to who he writes for. And I, th I think that's kind of interesting because I think it's a great reminder for people who are maybe years into their business or just starting out. If you want to write different types of copy, that's okay, but you can niche who you write that copy for. If it's connecting to a specific person rather than just anybody in general, uh, but you like writing emails and websites and you like writing so many different types of copy assets, but you like Maybe it's a specific person, like in Jeff's case, it's a thought leader or an expert. I think it's just a great reminder for other copywriters and especially for me in my own business. Yeah. And there's so many different ways of niching down that we dig deep into in the accelerator program. And we talk about on this podcast frequently, but yeah, niching down by your ideal client is a great way to go. You could also niche down based off an industry you can niche down based off the deliverable that you want to write. It's like, I just write sales pages, but I will write them for anyone. Um, or you can niche down by the style, your writing style and your approach, um, whether you write humorous copy or maybe it's like more personality driven and there's a certain personality or there's certain style that you bring or people are like, your clients are like, I, I want to sound more like that, more like you. Can you bring that out of me in the copy? Um, or you can niche down based off the problem you're helping your clients solve. And then the cool thing about niching, and there's so many other ways you can niche down, but the cool thing about niching is then you can get really interesting and start to layer 
different niches on top of each other. So then it can become, I niche down based off my ideal client like Jeff. And then I also niche down based on my unique writing style and the deliverables I work on and the problem I'm solving. And you can add as many layers as you want. You can get as, um, and go as deep as you want, or you don't have to go as deep. And so that's where, that's why I think we do geek out about niching so much because there's no right or way to do it. It's just figuring out what works best for you. It's so endless. Yes. <laughs> that's why we will continue. We will continue to talk about niching because it's fun. Something else that Jeff talked about, I wanted to hear him talk more about. So I might just have to, we might have to just bring him back or find this information elsewhere on his podcast. But I was just curious to hear about how, I guess, the why behind him leaving uh, his life as a pastor and losing faith. And I, I was just curious. I feel like he opened that loop and I'm just, I need to hear that story, but that's probably for his next visit on the podcast. We can talk about, talk about that piece of it. Yes. I bet it's an incredible story. And I thought the same thing. I was like, no, we need more information. Yeah. Right. Tell us more. Um, and then Jeff also mentioned that his client's hire him because of how he presents himself online. And that's, I believe what he said, how he got his first few clients too. They found his, his website or his online presence. And they said, I want, I want you to do that for me. And that just reminded me that our website and our own marketing is, that is our portfolio. And yes, we can also have a portfolio on our website or we can have a portfolio we send to our potential clients that is valuable and that works. But oftentimes um, it is okay to start out and to attract great clients through your own website and the way that you show up and you write your own website copy. Even if you're not a website copywriter, it's still showing your skill set and even showing just how you approach your website. What are you focus on? How do you package your own offers? How do you present your own brand? How, what type of message? And, um, and then you can attract ideal clients based off how you're showing up in your own marketing too. And that can work. That can work really well. It clearly worked for Jeff. I'm just curious to hear what you think, Gabby, about that approach. Oh, I 100% agree. And it, and it became so prominent when I decided that I was going to go very dorky with my own website <laughs> And I love your um, website. <laughs> thank you. And, you know, when I decided, you know what, um, I love Star Wars, and this is going to be a, a huge part of my website. And I started attracting Star Wars lovers um, to write for they were like, Oh, my goodness, I, I love your website. Can you please write for me? I love Star Wars, too. And I was like, wow, this is these are my people. And these are the people I want to write for where we can geek out and nerd out over similar things as simple as, you know, something like Star Wars. Gabby, when did you realize that you love Star Wars? Was there a moment? Was there a particular moment in one of the movies where you're like, this is this is it for me? I think it was that when I was younger, my dad was like, we're sitting down, you're watching Star Wars. This is part of your life now. And it it did. It became part of my life forever. And now anybody who hasn't seen Star Wars, I'm like, look, sit down on the couch. Star Wars is your life now. <laughs> All right. I love that. Um, so Jeff also talked about trauma-informed marketing. And I know, you know, he kind of dug into that with Rob. Um, was there anything about uh, that part of the discussion that stood out to you? 
Yes, it was really the part about writing from a place of empathy. And I think that when people can really feel that you're not just trying to sell to them and and pressure them into something that they might not be ready for or they might not even need, I think that attracts them even further. You're like, well, I, I want to get to know this. You're not um, digging at every single pain point that I've ever come through in my entire life. You're here to um, make my life better in, you know, a ABC way. And I think that is something just so important that many of us need to kind of understand, especially in this time of the world, that we're not picking at all of those using fear tactics rather than um, really coming from a place of empathy rather than those fear tactics. Yeah, I, I really liked the way that Jeff talked about it. And especially the part where he talked about just he kind of he simplified the whole thing and just said it's about honoring and respecting the people in your audience, the people in your community, the people you're selling to. And I think that's what I take away from it. Just am I am I honoring and respecting the people I'm writing to? Or, you know, asking that same question if you're writing copy for your clients, are you helping them do that within their community? And it sounds easy, but I definitely know I've written copy in the past where I get like very sassy and like, like very, <laughs> it just brings out a different side of my personality. And it's not always, it's not always respectful and honoring that reader because sometimes you forget that there's a reader at the other side of the copy reading it. Sometimes it becomes all about you. And by you, I mean me. <laughs> the <laughs> copy the sometimes really comes. Right. It's like you write it and you pour your heart out and it's all about me. Um, but then it's, is it really honoring and respecting the reader? So I think for me, it's just like, I like having that in the back of my mind to check that box and just ask myself that question, uh, when I'm writing and when I'm using different tactics, which I can still use because they work. Um, but just asking that question as I'm going through that process. Right. Exactly. And I think too, a lot of copywriters write for people who are similar to them. So we can easily right in that in a place of my thoughts and my opinion and um, really coming back to well, let me check myself really quick that way I, I'm really sticking with the reader in mind right yes let's jump back into our episode and listen to how Jeff builds his client avatar it feels to me like what we've been talking about you know with the, the six P's and sort of this empathy slash trauma-informed marketing, your avatars, it all kind of builds towards what you do with brand voice. Um, can you walk us through the exercise that you do with clients to help them discover their brand voice? Yeah. So especially with clients of mine that are authors uh, that have lots of content out there already, this is really easy to do. Uh, it's not necessarily easy to do if it's a, if it's a new client or a client that hasn't put out a whole lot of content before. You're going to have to uh, just do a bit more work. Uh, it's very doable, but it, it's a bit more work. So I basically want to find out the very first step is I want to find out what's that voice? What are those four characteristics or three to five characteristics that would define them uh, as a brand, uh, as a personal brand or as a company? What would those personality traits be? Uh, and and then how would we define those personality traits? So if we say that they are um, a rebel as a brand, then what does that look like? What words do they use? What words do they not use? How do we present them? How do we not present them if they're a rebel? Um, you know, if they're a rebel, we don't want to 
use fluffy, flowery language, perhaps, or if they're uh, if they're a rebel, rebel, we want to make sure that we position them as you know a maverick that they're that they they have lots of hot takes, uh, that they're very opinionated, uh, that they're very strong in what they believe, uh, and so we write that way. We don't write fluffy. We don't like write flowery. We don't write in a passive voice. We make sure that it's uh, very uh, strong and opinionated in how we write things. Um, so the first step is figure out those three to five characteristics that we that we'd give to the brand. Second step is what does that mean for what do they say? Uh, next step is what do they not say? And then I generally give it a, a description as well. Of what does this mean for them to be a rebel? Um, that's the simplest way to go about getting a brand voice. Now I go uh, with most clients, I go deeper than that. If they have books, if they have lots of blogs, um, then as I read through those, I know uh, can learn and, and write down what are the, their word patterns, what are their word preferences, their grammar preferences things like that, that, that I geek out on, but um, they probably never noticed about themselves. So, you know, they use ellipses a lot or they never use a comma uh, or, uh, or they really like the word. Uh, I don't know. They really, or they, they write in a, in with British use. So color has a U at the end and, and all that stuff, writing down how they write uh, and, and the grammar that they use and the words that they prefer, the phrases that they like, the jargon that they use, all those types of things. So, um, so it starts with getting the characteristics. Then I geek out on the, what does that actually look like in terms of um, how they write and how I write for them. You mentioned, you know, the, the example of the rebel, are you working from the standard archetypes um, you know, to start off with, or do you just kind of find something that works for the, for each brand that you you're uh, you know, starting to write for? Yes and no. So not necessarily, but if, if, if the client would find it more understandable to walk through those archetypes, then, um, then yes. And, and that's really reading the client and knowing, um, if they would use that language, uh, uh, and all that stuff. So, um, I might have it in the back of my mind as I'm writing those out. Um, uh, but not necessarily, it's really on a, a client by client type basis. Okay. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And then how you, once you have that in place, once you've got this avatar defined, you know, is, is it just you're using that as background material or does it inform your writing in other ways? Uh, yeah, both. So it, uh, it's, first of all, it's just something that I've marinated on for a while. You know, if I'm reading uh, multiple books to get the voice of the client, then I'm, I'm pretty well immersed in how they write or at least how they present themselves or how the editor has finished it up as, as the way that they write. Um, so part of it is just that I've marinated in it long enough. Now I understand and know that what that voice is and what it sounds like. Uh, but I've also made sure that I write down, uh, you know, like I said, what are those words that they like? What are those phrases that they use? Um, quite often I've written down, maybe if, if they refer back to a quote a few different times, I'll write down, oh, they like this quote. They like this author. Um, so it's something that I'm, that I've marinated in. So I'm aware of it, but I don't necessarily rely on it too much. It's more of a document for me to, to build my understanding uh, of that client and how to write for that client. I refer back to it every once in a while, especially if I'm stuck on a piece of copy, then I know I've probably written down uh, in one of those personality characteristic words, I've probably written down a phrase or two um, that could help me get unstuck in, in my piece of copy uh, or, or even understand them better in a way that, that helps me get unstuck. So I refer back to it when I need to, but it's more about marinating in, in who they are and how to write for them. 
you know, I'm not sure how to phrase this next question, but um, it feels to me that, you know, a lot of brands may have more than one avatar um, that, that, you know, they serve maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly. Um, but I'm curious if you have a way of telling like when you've missed the avatar, when you, you haven't gotten it right. Is there some kind of like a check you can run after you've written out the avatar? It's like, oh, actually, we missed on this thing. Or is it a matter of trial and error? Uh, a bit of trial and error, but it's usually uh, it's usually getting a, a call, a, a follow up call with the client. And again, I'm mostly working with the personal brand, so I can just connect one on one with them. I don't need to, to write for a, for a, a board or or a marketing department or anything like that. I, I connect with my client and say, this is how I understand you. Uh, these are the, the three, four, five words I'd give you as a, as, a, as a brand, as the personality that you're bringing forward. Does that sound accurate? Would you change it up? Would you uh, use different words? Have I described those words, how you would describe them? Um, so there is that first check that we go through of before I go and spend uh, however much time however many hours writing your content. Um, does this sound like you? Is this who you want to present to the world? Is this accurate? Uh, and then we, there's always parts of it where they want to adjust it or, or correct it. Um, and then the second test is really, okay, now I'm going to go and write your next piece. I'm going to write your homepage. I'm going to write your sales page uh, or, the, or the, the first chunk of a sales page. And then we're going to, we're going to connect again and see, is this in, uh, is this connecting with how you want to present to the world? So again, they might uh, provide feedback on that of commenting on, no, I wouldn't use this phrase or I wouldn't use it here or I'd say it in a different way. Um, so a few checks, uh, uh, checkpoints before we uh, really get into the, or dive into the deep stuff of, you know, a whole sales page or a whole uh, funnel that we're creating or anything like that. And where do most copywriters go wrong when creating avatars? I think most copywriters go too shallow in their avatars. So um, they don't ask good enough questions. They don't have, don't ask deep enough questions. And part of that, I, I mean, I totally understand it because it's, it's, it's just simply easier um, to not, to not dive deep. It's, um, it's easier to not ask really great questions. One of the other areas though, where I think we fail, uh, as copywriters is that we, we, so if we're writing for a client, we have to, we have to rely on the client's understanding of their avatar of their audience. So we can certainly help in that, uh, in that process, in that journey of helping the customer or helping our client understand their avatar better. But uh, it might just be that we need to help our clients drill down better into their understanding of who their audience is. So one of the biggest mistakes is not just uh, defining a loose avatar or not a deep enough avatar, but actually holding our clients with kid gloves and not drilling down on them uh, to understand their own audience better. And I think that's a way that we can, as copywriters, offer a, a deeper, better uh more valuable service to our, uh, to our clients as well. It's not just, I'm going to write this for you, but I'm going to help you understand uh, your audience that much better as well. And then once you have the avatar, do you use that to determine like the stories that you're going to tell in the copy? Um, you can, I mean, I, I can imagine there's lots of different ways to use it, you know, connecting to specific, uh, features and benefits that might, you know, um, 
appeal more to one avatar than another, but like, how does that work? Yeah. So I'll use that. Um, I'll go back to that rebel example because it was kind of loosely based on a, on a client, but they were strongly opinionated. They were uh, very firm in their beliefs. So we used a story for that client of one of his, uh, how he defended one of his grandkids uh, from the, the medical establishment or whatever, uh, how he advocated for one of his grandkids to not, um, to not let them just go undiagnosed or untreated or whatever, but to actually uh, go and fire one of their doctors and, you know, get reassessed and reevaluated and all that. So the story that we picked, and that was just one story, but the story that we picked was based on that exact characteristic of the brand voice and understanding that that's exactly what the avatar, uh, the audience was looking for as well as this, this maverick, this rebel uh, who, who stood up to the, the medical establishment or whatever. I mean, make him sound like a, like a kook. That wasn't it at all. But, uh, but he was saying, Hey, we, medical science is good. We need this part too. Um, and he, he wouldn't back down. His opinions were strong. Uh, so we knew that his audience was drawn to him because of that. So we told a story specifically a true story about, Hey, I don't just tell you to do this. I do it myself for my own family as well. Okay. Let's talk more about stories. What's your approach to, you know, telling really compelling stories? Well, it all really does go back to what we just talked about in the avatar of knowing who your avatar is, knowing who you're speaking to should determine the stories that you tell. Uh, but more than that, it should determine the details that you include and the details that you leave out of that story. Not that you tell a half story or half truth, but if I'm, you know, putting my kids to bed uh, at night, I know which parts of the story that I make up to include that because I know my kids, I know that these parts of the story are going to interest them. I know that they're, um, you know, I have four boys. They're not interested in princess stories um, to go highly generic and stereotypical and all that. But, um, you know, I know those details would be uninteresting to my four boys. Uh, and I know the parts of the story the, that will actually interest them and get them uh, involved in the story. So we do the same thing in the stories we tell for our clients and to our avatars is we know you're disinterested in this, but you're very interested in that. So as we tell the stories, you know, there's, there's a lot more details to the story of that one client and his grand uh, grandkid. But I include the pieces, I include the pieces that I know will connect with their, their audience. And I uh, exclude, I leave out the details that will be uninteresting that aren't, uh, that aren't necessary for that avatar, for that that uh, prospect. So the first part to a good story is knowing what parts to leave in, knowing what parts to leave out. Yeah. And then I think, do you have a formula for um, like knowing which parts to that are, are the most powerful? Uh, not necessarily. What I tend to tell people is that for any story, the, the best way to get an audience interested and excited and involved in the story is to start with an explosion event, to start with a climax event. Uh, so in an email or on a sales page, it's like one line of text uh, just to get people to, to lean in, to draw, uh, get drawn in. And brain science wise, that's just going to release a little bit of cortisol into their brain. We don't, we don't want to go overboard. We don't want to um, release too much cortisol, but we want to let them know, Hey, Hey, look over here. We want to get their attention um, to tell a good story that there's something exciting on the way that we have something exciting and important to tell them. Um, so we start with that explosion event, that 
almost climax type event um, that, you know, it's like a James Bond movie that starts with everyone running uh, and jumping around on cranes and on, in high rises and all that. We, we get attention, we get, uh, we get emotion going, we get cortisol released. And once we do that, when, when we do that first, then we can build a connection. Pardon me, we can build a connection after that. Um, so we start with getting attention and then we move on to building the connection through the story, which generally, again, for my clients means we're, we're making our, we're, we're telling a relatable story. We're telling uh, a way that makes the, the, um, the brand identifiable uh, and that they understand who they're talking to. Uh, so we start with attention, then we can build that connection. That's generally where I start with the story. I like it. I like it. Um, okay. So let's change the conversation just a little bit. Um, you started a podcast last year, uh, all about psychology. Tell us a little bit about why you did that and you know, some of the stuff that you'd like to talk about on your podcast. Well, I'll start with the second piece. The stuff that we like to talk about on the podcast is really geeking out on the psychology of copywriting, the, the brain science uh, behind why what we do as copywriters, why it works so well. So that even goes back to talking about, you know, releasing that little bit of uh, of cortisol so that we can build the oxytocin or so we can, uh, after that, release oxytocin and build connection. Then we want to go into a dopamine hit and all that. So we geek out on my podcast on uh, that type of stuff, the psychology, the neuroscience behind uh, why we need to write the way that we need to write and why it works uh, so well. So the idea, honestly, behind starting such a, a unique uh, podcast, uh, because every episode we we dig into a an academic article and then and then unpack it for copywriters. Um, but the idea behind it all was really to to level up my own game, um, to not just coast as a copywriter, to not treat myself like an amateur, uh, but to treat myself like I'm a I'm a professional copywriter. This is what I do. This is what people pay me and pay me well to do. Uh, so I better know my, I, I better know what I'm doing and know why I'm doing it. Uh, and more than that, I better begin to understand what other approaches I can start to use and start to explore um, to see if they work really well based on the brain science and the psychology that I'm, that I'm reading about and learning about and telling people about on the podcast. So uh, I started it really to up my own game, but to help other copywriters as well to, to up their games um, by not just treating copy like an amateur, but actually treating our job as copywriters like a professional, like uh, I need to up my skills and up my game so that I can attract uh, higher paying and better clients. And as you've you know, gone through so many of these different psychological techniques, tactics, you know, wh whatever we want to call them, do you have like, I don't know, three or four favorites or must use, must do's that you would recommend all copywriters need to know more about? One of the ones that I most recently discovered, and I'm, I'm really uh, excited to explore this one further, but it was research done by Robert Cialdini. So, you know, it's good. Uh, you know, it's trustworthy. Um, but research about scarcity and research about social proof uh, and why they work so well or why they or uh, when they can backfire as well. So um, if we think of social proof as always a good thing. That's not necessarily the case. The the psychological research uh, suggested or showed, and that, that was really fascinating to me, that if you are uh, wanting social proof to be more effective, you actually couch it in, um, they used fear as the example, uh, a story that, that invokes some fear. I'd rather say uh, we couch it in, in a story that tells a pain point. So we, we couch it in a story that um, 
that addresses the pain point or the problem our, our avatar is having. And what that does, why fear and, and pain points can make scarcity even more uh, powerful is because what do we do when we're scared? What do we do when we're fearful? We gather together as, like, an, like a herd of elephants, right? We gather together. Uh, and so social proof is more powerful um, because we want to herd together. And so seeing that, oh, all these other people bought that thing, or here's what those other customers have to say about it. Uh, it proves that this thing will keep us safe and secure uh, when we couch it in that story of, of pain or fear or worry um, without traumatizing people, of course, but, you know, uh, and also um, scarcity works really well. According to the research that Cialdini did, scarcity works really well um, when we're looking more for intimacy, when we're looking more for uh, romantic stories, when we're looking more for love stories, because when we're, we're in, when our brains are engaged in, you know, something like a love story, which would be hard to work into a product launch perhaps, but when our brains are engaged in, in, in a love story or whatever, then we want uh, more alone time. We want to be more distinct, more unique. So uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, that's why scarcity works so well. And, and it can be more powerful when we couple it with um, love stories or romantic inclinations or whatever um, we want to, however, we want to inspire that within marketing copy. But that's been one of the most recent, most fascinating um, discoveries that I've had on the podcast and reading all this research and, and all that. Um, other ones are really uh, stuff that I've already, already talked about, like uh, that we need to release, uh, make sure that we release cortisol first. Uh, before we start building a connection, we have to get attention before we can start uh, before we can really build any connection. So it has to be cortisol first, oxytocin second, dopamine third. Um, I generally don't just come up with this stuff. It's, it's from geeking out on really long academic articles. Um, so, uh, a lot of the stuff that I've learned, we've, we've already touched on, we've already talked about today. And as you have, you know, produced the podcast, how, what kind of an effect has that had on your work as a copywriter, your career? So I would say a year ago, I had before the podcast, I had, um, I had name recognition by association. So the people that I'd written for the, um, uh, whether they were copywriters who brought me in on a project or big big name clients, uh, I had name recognition and authority from from those names by association. I think now I've built more of my own audience. Um, copywriters or people interested in copywriting who like geeking out on this stuff, uh, who want to get better and get deeper uh, and write stronger copy. Uh, so for me, the biggest difference has been, well, I've built more of my own authority, my own expertise and my own audience now um, because of the podcast. So there's no better. Um, and, and that's why even I took this different uh, direction with the podcast It's not just a copywriting podcast. It's the psychology. It's the, geeking out on, on copywriting uh, podcast, basically, because it, it has built that tiny little um, but powerful niche for me and getting a name recognition of, oh, he's the guy that geeks out on this stuff. He's the guy that we, he, we, that we would go to for the psychological uh, impact of copy. Um, so it's built my own expertise, but also helped me to, to build an audience around that expertise. So aside from your podcast, what sorts of things have you done in your business that have helped you level up the most? 
I say this as a strong, strong, strong introvert, but networking has been uh, probably the biggest, uh, the next biggest thing in my business in general. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean going to networking events, doesn't necessarily mean going to conferences or workshops, um, but getting into masterminds, getting, uh, building my network of, of friends and colleagues and relationships um, with, with other online entrepreneurs, people who do maybe, maybe not necessarily what I do, but in a, in a related field, um, building that network has, has been huge for me. Um, but again, I say that as a strong introvert. So to any other introverts, um, it's possible it can be done. Uh, I might need to recover and take a nap after a mastermind call, but, um, it's very valuable, very, uh, very much effective and, and has helped me build a business that, that actually works for myself and our family. Yeah, I, I feel that very deeply. Um, and I agree hundred percent. So what have you struggled with as you've built your business? What are the things that have come really, really hard? I think that the, the biggest struggle for me, uh, especially from early on, but has, has generally been mindset in general, a scarcity mindset in general, um, thinking that I, I was always worried, where's that next client coming from? Where's that next payday coming from? Um, for a good chunk of my copywriting career, my wife was on maternity leave. And so I was, you know, I said, we have four kids. So she spent a lot of time on maternity leave. Um, so I was the the breadwinner. Um, and that's how we were able to feed our family. So there was a lot of, uh, from my perspective, there was a lot of extra pressure. Perhaps I put it on myself. Um, I mean, we, we, we never starved or anything, but uh, a lot of that scarcity mindset was the biggest struggle that I had. Uh, and it didn't really stop until it didn't really, um, it, it kept gnawing away at me until I started building my own reputation, building my own, uh, client base, which again was, was based on, um, the networking that I was able to do. Um, so I built my skills a bit, built my expertise, but building my network, all three of those combined helped me to overcome that biggest obstacle, that biggest negative thing in my business, which was my scarcity mindset. Jeff, if you could go back and talk to, you know, just starting out copywriter, Jeff, give him some advice. <laughs> what would you say? Go get a real job. No, um, I would say you can <laughs> That's do not that. That's not bad advice. Not bad advice not at bad all. bad advice, no. Uh, I would say you can do this. You're going to do really well. You are going to make this pivot from a, from a full-time pastor career to copywriting, freelancing success. Uh, I just give myself a vote of confidence is, is what I'd really do. Because, you know, when I, when I started out, my whole world had, had fallen apart. I was, uh, I prepped myself for, you know, through college, through internships, through past um, work experience and all that. I prepped myself for like a decade of my job, my role in this world is to be a pastor. Uh, and then when my faith fell apart, when that whole story crumbled, uh, everything crumbled along with it. And so there was no confidence. So telling myself, you can do this, you will do this, and you'll do great, uh, would have been so helpful if I if I had owned a time machine to take myself back and tell myself that. That would have been huge. Yeah, that's that's good advice. So what's next for you? Where where do you go from here? What I'm... So uh, two things. I'm still working with my clients, love working with my clients. Uh, but also I'm starting to build out this more of a community where I want to give people... Uh, some templates, some training, and, and and build a tribe, build a community around uh, other copywriters who love geeking out on this stuff, um, other freelancers, other folks like 
us who who want to geek out on this stuff. So I started up a, a community called Copywriting Made Simple, um, and not quite ready to launch yet, but it's getting there. Um, so I have to do my client work and then treat this other stuff on the side. But that's what's next is less service based work, less freelance work, and more building community and helping other writers uh, to become better and better writers as well. And if somebody wants to connect with you or follow you, uh, where should they go? Uh, two places that I send people. Uh, you can always check out the podcast, the Psychology of Copywriting podcast, uh, or send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Jeff Coleman. That's the best way to connect with me. Uh, you can check out my website uh, and all that, but uh, Instagram is where we'll actually get a conversation going and, and, uh, uh, and checking out the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. We appreciate you coming on and sharing details about your business and processes. It was fantastic. That's the end of our interview with Jeff. But before we wrap, let's talk about a few more takeaways and points. Gabby, why don't you kick it off? Well, I just have to say I'm so happy that Jeff brought up just creating the the client avatar. I know it's something many of us learn at the beginning of you know, when we're just diving into this online world of copywriting and marketing is creating your client avatar. But so many, so much of it is very surface level and, you know, getting, but it's, I think a very important to get deeper than what's their favorite color, what street do they love on? You know, what, what do they like to do on, on a daily basis, but getting to know the, the more deeper beliefs, their motivations and goals so that we can craft better stories that then connect with their audience. Uh, on a deeper level. Yes. I, I love how Jeff is going deeper with his avatar and his process and creating that. And, um, when I work on the avatar too, with my clients, I love lots of collaboration, um, because I think this could be the part of the project where you are getting feedback. I mean, oftentimes depends on the clients you work with. So this is different depending on the space you're in, but the clients I work with, um, which are similar to the ones that Jeff works with, they oftentimes want to collaborate. They want to be involved in the creative process. They know their audience better than anyone. And so the cool part about building a brand avatar, whether you're adding that to a, you know, a brand strategy guide or wherever you're adding that into the process, is you. this gives you a chance to really work with your client and involve them in the process before you go to your copy cave. Because like we all love to go to our copy cave and just peace out and you know tell the client I'll talk to you in a month but before you do that you can kick off the project with this really positive creative collaboration where they feel understood they feel like you get it they feel heard because you can bring them into this part of the project uh, and the most important part beyond making the client happy and getting their intel because again they have so much to share about their audience is that you can have a check-in with them so that they sign off on the avatar before you move forward with the project. And that's what it sounds like Jeff does. He makes sure that they are on board and involved with this part of the project before he jumps into the next stage of actually writing the copy and starting to build out the launch funnel. And so I'm just adding that like this to me is the fun part and it can go a long way if you involve your clients. And that doesn't mean you get to let them run this part of the project still can have structure. You can still be very clear with your clients as far as like, this is the type of feedback I want. This is the type of feedback I do not want. Here is when I need it. Um, here is the deadline and here's the next step. And once we hit this milestone and you 
we move forward, we're working from this document. We're not revisiting this document in two days. We're moving forward with this uh, agreement that these are the brand avatars. And so I guess all that to say, this is a critical part and it's a great way to start a project off with your client with a lot of success so that the rest of the project is actually easy, especially with new clients. Like they feel confident in what you're doing and they're like, yes, I know you get this. Go do your thing. Go to your copy cave and do your thing. Yes. And I'll talk to you in a few weeks. Exactly. Yes. So, and you can also uh, pull in real people too and pull in, uh, if you're doing customer interviews, like you can start to pull in those customer interviews into the avatars and bucket them. So oftentimes I want to have real names of real people uh, within each avatar we're creating for a brand so that it's like, here's, you know, I know Jeff talked about the rebel avatar. Okay. Well, the rebel avatar actually includes these three people that we interviewed. And so that is another step that can make it feel real, real because it is real. And so that's helped me work through it too. Definitely. And when they're based off of real people, it's so validating. And when you're writing the copy, you just can write with complete certainty that you're writing to those people's unique perspectives, desires, um, and problems too. Yeah. And you can even go back to them if you want them to get involved in the process and, um, and even bring your messages to those avatars to say, hey, does this resonate? Like, does this turn you off? Does this get you excited? Does it, where does this confuse you? And go back to those people who are part of those avatars. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leads me into like the next thing that really stood out in the interview, which was the podcast um, that Jeff has about psychology and copywriting and um, just the neuroscience behind why we write, how, what we write and how it all works. That was something that was so fascinating. And I, I couldn't run faster to the podcast uh, because I just kind of geek out over the things that are neuroscience, how our brain works when it comes to the messaging that we use and why we use it. Was there any particular tactic that he mentioned that you're like, okay, that's something I want to test next? Well, it was definitely when he mentioned how to release different chemicals um, in our brains and, you know, going from cortisol to oxytocin to dopamine. I thought that was super interesting because I think that when we can dive into those topics and we know why we're writing for what purpose, then we can even further write from a place of empathy and compassion um, because we know how we know how to use those those um, tactics and those tools. Yeah, and I mean, he grabbed Jeff grabbed my attention when he was talking about how the power of pulling in a love story and uh, and romance into our copy. And I, Jeff, I just want to hear more about that. Please tell us more about that. <laughs> Maybe there is an episode on your podcast we can link to um, where we dig into that because that's that sounded really interesting to me. I had not heard anyone talk about copy in that way. And so anyway, I just want to hear more about that. Tell me more. <laughs> yes, it's such a good, it, it's a really great podcast. I've already listened to a few episodes. All right. So we also talked a lot about storytelling. Was there anything that grabbed your attention, Gabby, that you want to apply in your copy from storytelling and, and that part of the conversation? Yeah, it was really interesting how he was talking about how we could tell more compelling stories and what details that 
maybe we could leave in or we could leave out. And it all really goes back to the, the avatar. Uh, what, what is it that our avatar really wants to hear? And what are some things that maybe we could kind of just leave out? Um, so I think when it comes to writing copy for my clients or just myself in general is, you know, really going through and doing another sweep of asking the questions like, is this necessary or can we take this out? Can we pull out anything from this section of the copy more than this section? And um, I think that's just really important when it comes to telling compelling stories. That was my favorite part of this episode. I think, yeah, it, it was. That part about storytelling is all about figuring out what part to leave in and what part to pull out, like you said that it just registered for for me in a way, even though it's something that we all do as copywriters, like we naturally do it, but I hadn't really thought about it in that way, even though it's just who we are and how we talk to each other and um, part of our natural conversation. But it's so true because if you think about, okay, if I think about for me when I was, let's say like 22 and 23, living in New York City and maybe telling after a weekend, a fun weekend, maybe telling my mom about the weekend, probably what I highlighted in that story was very different than what I would highlight to my best friend about that weekend. (laughs) It was probably when I'm talking to my mom about the weekend, I was probably talking about my volunteer work at the zoo. (laughs) And probably when I was talking to a friend on that Monday, I was probably talking about like late night, 2 a.m. on that Friday night and what we were doing and all the fun details. And um, so it's just so true. And so it's just such a good point to highlight and um, just to think about as as we're writing copy and working on our own messages that we share with the world. Oh, gosh, I agree. I think this there were so many points in this podcast that really, really stood out. And another one that stood out was networking as an introvert. This had me laughing because he mentioned taking a nap after networking events (laughs) and I could not relate more. I feel like, and this is something that people are typically surprised by because um, I come off as having, you know, conversating and talking a lot. And, um, but then afterwards, it's really about what I have to do when I get home is just sit down, breathe and just decompress. And that's, you know, where the introvert really kicks in because it, it can be very exhausting to network and socialize even with friends or family. Yes. I, and it's so funny too, because Gabby, I, I actually didn't know you were an introvert. I, I kind of assumed maybe you're in the middle or, and more of an extrovert. Um, I guess we never talked about it before. I'll definitely be napping after this call. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was, no, I'm serious. I will take a nap after recording. Anytime I have to record anything, a podcast interview, um, these interjections, the commentary that we create after it, I just need to take a nap. And so, and that's not even in person. It's like, what? Right. Exactly. exactly. It's just exerting any kind of energy <laughs> in conversations. <laughs> so yes, it's nice that we can all relate. And you know what, for the extroverts who don't need to take naps after networking, like we we love you too. Like we, we thrive on your energy. You give us energy. So keep Definitely. doing your thing. Keep doing your thing. We love you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I introvert hard and definitely post pandemic, even worse. Like I'm an even bigger introvert. So I don't know how to change this in my life, but that's <laughs> different conversation. So anything else before we wrap 
Um, I think I just had one more thing that I wanted to point out was when Jeff was talking about his struggles in business and scarcity mindset when it comes to where the next clients will come from. And I think this is so common amongst any, you know, freelancer or business owner who has to gain their own leads is telling yourself, yes, there are so many people who need, who might need your services and there's a never ending sea of clients, but telling yourself that one time can only last so long. And I think I compare this to working out. You can work out once and it's not going to make a difference until you actually make it a routine in your daily life. And then you'll start to really believe in the power of what you're doing. And I think it's the same with our mindset. It's a daily routine that we have to kind of create over time and tell ourselves, you know, those positive um, reminders and, you know, it won't just change with that one, you know, that one positive quote you read. It's like really a daily habit we need to create. So you're telling me I can't work out one time <laughs> and that will not change anything. That will not change my body. I think we I all look in like the mirror this. after one workout and we're like, oh my goodness, did anything <laughs> change? <laughs> Please tell me something changed. Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the mindset because I did want to mention that. I forgot. But yeah, I, I think um, it's cool that Jeff mentioned having a scarcity mindset because I know many of us do. I, I definitely can fall into that camp here and there, like often sometimes, and then I'll, I'll kind of do some work and then I'll get better. I do tend to lean towards having an abundant mindset, although I, you know, maybe people who know me could disagree, but I think it's something worth paying attention to because even though I, I feel like I show up with an abundant mindset of just like, there's enough for anybody. There are definitely some cons to that. Even if you have an abundant mindset, sometimes that is not actually good um, in every situation. Because if you're like, this is great. Like there's infinite potential. There's infinite growth. It's also hard to focus and um, rein it in at times. So I think there are, there are pros and cons to both. And also we can all fluctuate and you're not one or the other and you don't have one or the other most times and you may lean in one direction or the other. So I just like, I kind of have to keep an eye on it for myself. And if I feel like I'm leaning towards a scarcity mindset and it's showing up in different ways, I just have to keep in, keep check and, and figure out like where that's coming from and try to work through it. Um, and then if I lean too hard into a, an abundant mindset of like, there, like there's money falling from the sky. <laughs> That's also not, that's not great either. So, um, happy medium. Right. That would be great. Yes. What do you naturally fall into, um, Gabby? Um, you know, I think I lean maybe a little more on the scarcity side, maybe a more, a more of a neg, more negative, but I don't think that I'm 100% negative. I have to just kind of pull myself into the, you know, I think I'm just kind of a realist, um, a lot of ways. And so I think that sometimes can get in the way and have, you know, that constant reminder of, you know, so I do need those sticky notes around my, you know, on my mirror telling me, yes, you got this. Or, it's great. Everything's awesome. I do you really always, have sticky notes? Yes, of course. I, that. <laughs> I need those constant reminders. Um, and I think that just helps keep every, you know, us going. I think we all have our, our thing that we do daily to help us out. I, I think uh, sticky notes are Great. And I, I want to do that, Gabby. I'm going to copy you and take um, add some sticky notes. But mine are going to say something like, everything is not possible, Kira. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but you sticky never notes. You never, yeah, <laughs> right. 
That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muttner. Your feedback and support is so appreciated. And if you liked what you've heard, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to listen to a few more episodes with a similar theme, check out episode 89 with Mel Abraham about building frameworks and episode 232 with Marcus McNeil about creating multiple client avatars. Those are both excellent, excellent episodes worth checking out. And if you're thinking about joining us at TCC IRL in Nashville, Tennessee this March, we'll link to all the information you need in the show notes. Gabby, thank you so much for all that you do for TCC. every day and for co-hosting this episode with me. Uh, can you just share share with anyone listening if they want to get in touch with you or just kind of find out more about you and uh, your copywriting business, where could they go? Um, yeah, I, this has been so fun. If you want to chat about all things Star Wars, you can find me on Instagram at it's Gabby Jackson um, and my website of the same name. It's GabbyJackson.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.